0: Welcome to the first episode of Girl Mode, a new gaming podcast, because there aren't enough of those in the world, but at least this one is hosted by two cool trans women. My name is Robin B. And I'm Willa Rowe. We
1: are two obsessed gamer girls <laughs> uh, who both have jobs as games journalists, and we thought, why not force ourselves to talk about it more? Uh for no pay. So why that's not? why we're here.
0: Yeah, if I'm going to be sitting at home talking to myself anyway, I might as well have someone listening to me on the other end.
1: Yeah, exactly. So we, we've both trapped each other <laughs> <laughs> into this cycle.
0: The perfect working uh, relationship.
1: Yeah. So this is just gonna be a podcast for us to talk about things, mostly gaming, what's happening in the week in news, and with a range of topics about fun stuff that we just want to spend time talking about. And so to start that off, we thought it would be best to go through the history of ourselves in gaming with a selection of the games that made us. So I guess I'll start off.
0: Is that um, like a, it sounds like the name of like a PB, isn't there a, a documentary called something like that already?
1: There must be.
0: <laughs> Except it wasn't about, if it's, like the, it's like the royal us, you know, it's like us as a, co- oh, the toys that made us, that's right, it's on Netflix.
1: I mean, hey, games, games are toys.
0: Games actually are just toys. And not Thanks. art. They're not serious. <laughs> you shouldn't ever think or talk about them uh, or base your career around them.
1: Yeah, don't base your career around them. Don't start a podcast about them.
0: <laughs> Ideally, uh, don't even play them. Um, <laughs> so actually, before we started, I did want to ask you, Willa, this is kind of a loose topic in a way. So I was curious, like, how do you decide what games these are? Like, how did you pick the games that you're going to talk about today? Yeah. What, what qualifies them, you know?
1: So for me, I had, when we were talking about this as like, as our starting topic, I had I had two kind of ideas about how I was going to approach it. There was the idea of like, I could approach this by saying like, here are some of my favorite games that I feel like, you know, speak to a taste that I have or a way that I think now about gaming. Mm -hmm. Um, Or I could really think about the prompt of games that made us and kind of like, Almost biographically look back at my life and pinpoint a few games that really pushed me onto the path of like becoming a games journalist and how I got here. So for me, uh, that's kind of what I did. I picked those games that stand out as like signposts along the path to like where I am now. Yeah. More than my favorite games because i think that's a different list right
0: yeah i think that's i think that's the assignment i think you got the prompt um (laughs) thank you yeah i guess i was (laughs) i was asking because what's giving me a bit of pause in like picking my own is like there are plenty of games from when i was like younger than any of the games i'm probably going to talk about today that were like extremely important to me and like i you know got obsessed with and like in some way probably did set me down this path but that I was not thinking about as having that kind of effect on me. The games that I think I'm going to be talking about are ones that I kind of, kind of like jolted me at the time to think about games in a different way. Whereas there's plenty of games that I loved as a kid that just kind of remained, you know, games that I loved, you know, like a lot of like NES games, the first Kirby game, like the Legend of Zelda games. Like I played these games constantly, but I don't think they necessarily like shaped the way that I think about games in, in a significant way. Yeah. Is that kind of your your approach to this as well?
1: Kind of, and I, I actually think that's a perfect uh, transition into my first game. Wonderful, because my first pick is The Legend
0: of Zelda: Ocarina <laughs> of Time. It's almost like we planned this. Oh, we actually didn't. Like, I know. I, I said that in like a sardonic, like wink, wink, kind of way, but we t- totally did not. We we sound
1: better than we actually plan.
0: That's, yeah, that's how I try to go through my life.
1: So, Ocarina of Time is perhaps the first game I ever played. Whoa. And it's not an exaggeration to say that some of my earliest memories of life have to do with playing Ocarina of Time. Because I am the youngest of four siblings. And growing up, we had a Nintendo 64 in our little living room with the CRT. And my brother was the one in my family who's the oldest of the siblings. And he really was the one who was mostly into gaming. And so even before I was like playing games myself, um, I was like watching him play games and you know ocarina of time came out
0: i want to say 97 i think that's true but for some reason i think every game came out in 1997 it came out so it came out in
1: 1998 which for context to make me you know to age myself i was a year old a year Uh and a half well, when it uh, came out.
0: I'm going to quit the podcast if you keep saying <laughs> things like that. This
1: is the first and last episode. <laughs> but um, so really like by the time I actually remember seeing Ocarina of Time, it was years later when my brain could actually form <laughs> memories. Sure. And and I just remember watching it and being so in awe of this adventure it felt so colorful and fantastical, like watching, you know, Link go through Hyrule and be on, you know, his horse and go through the open fields, which is funny, because like, retrospectively, I know that, you know, people were like, wow, at the time, this was groundbreaking for gaming, like how it pushed it forward. Mm -hmm. But like, for me, with no reference. And this being one of the first games I, I ever saw, it still was so awe-inspiring. And like eventually, I got my hands on it, away from my brother, <laughs> when he had moved on to something else. And I I spent time playing Ocarina of Time. And it was that incredible experience that felt unlike other things that I could do. And it truly felt like an encapsulation of this childlike wonder. And it definitely started my love of games, even if I didn't know where that would go. And it was just a cursory love of this entertainment. Ocarina of Time was just something so unique that it set everything going forward for me.
0: That. Okay, so. I'm going to, one of my most like cancelable video game opinions is I didn't play Ocarina of Time uh, when it was like the cool new thing, um, largely because I didn't have a Nintendo 64. So I didn't really come to it until years later when uh, the, the Wind Waker came with this disc that like had a version of it on it. And so to me, it like, I know for so many people, it is this like transcendent experience. But for me, it was kind of just like, another zelda game um and i know people hold it in like such reverence but yeah i don't know i I didn't have that experience and like hearing you describe it is like i kind of think maybe i get the appeal in a way i didn't before and i'm also envious of you having that experience because for me i was just like "Eh, i don't know this the wind waker is like newer you can like go on a boat and shit you can't do that in ocarina
1: yeah i mean i definitely think that's one of the unique things about like my experience with it is that it is almost like that perfect artistic experience where it's like I was basically (laughs) in a vacuum like this this little child with no knowledge and I was like what's this cool thing where I can play as this guy in green um no sorry Link is
0: the girl I don't know if you know this oh
1: yeah I'm so sorry
0: it's yeah no that is interesting though because like I I'm some undisclosed number of years older than you um and I like it's interesting hearing you talk about Ocarina as this encapsulation of childhood wonder because that's very similar to my experience with uh the original Legend of Zelda. But yeah, I think there is really Slowly something about
1: hints about game releases we're going to find your uh your age. Yeah,
0: you're going I'm going to dox myself yeah. by talking telling you what <laughs> games I like. Yeah, I think there is really something special about like the the Legend of Zelda series that that is such a classic adventure and it's like tropey fantasy thing like it's just like oh there's goblins in the woods and shit but it is so like free of excessive backstory and hand wringing over all of that kind of shit it's just here's who you are gotta go save the princess there is something that feels very like childlike about it so it's very interesting that no matter like what point you're coming into the series it kind of has the same effect regardless of the the kind of like baggage you bring to it
1: yeah which is like I think something they've totally maintained because like you're saying each most of the time each time they make a new one it's it's completely Mm -hmm. detached beyond like the the now like archetype of Zelda itself as a series and it's like well if you just fill in these certain things there's a Zelda game it doesn't matter what else you do it can you know you can turn into a (laughs) werewolf if you want you can You can ride a boat around, it can be in the sky, but it's still Zelda and somebody new coming to it will just experience it as it is.
0: Do you have any like particular memories of playing it that stick out of like moments where you were like, oh, this is like, this is a big deal. Like this left an impression.
1: I think for me, it's just roaming through the Mm. fields of Hyrule on the horse because it just, I could just ride around and kind of it. At the time, it felt like this massive expanse, where I was like, yeah. "Oh my god, this is this is open world, man! This is the coolest thing." I don't know. I think it's because I was a child and I didn't really understand the idea of like having to perform a set list of tasks that games usually like make you do. It just was like, yeah, just kind of do whatever you want, roam around this field, or go fish. Like, and I it felt. Easy and relaxing, and just like letting the player set the pace.
0: The beginning of gaming's obsession with fishing,
1: and and my obsession with fishing in games. <laughs> That's the yeah. We this could was
0: the, the, do a whole episode on fishing.
1: <laughs> this games. list is actually just going to be the fishing games that made me.
0: Yes. Oh my gosh. There's there's so many to choose from.
1: Why don't you tell me about your first game?
0: I'm going to look up the year this came out as well because. I'm going to say 1990. I think it's 2000. No, is in one. Wait, should I go chronological on? Are you going chronological? I, I am going chronological. I think, okay, the the better transition here for me is to talk about Final Fantasy VII from the year 1997, <laughs> the year that the year every that video, every game, video, came video out. game came out. And it's, so this is not like uh, an analogous experience. Like, This is not the kind of, like, childlike wonder thing. Like, there there are earlier games that I played that had that effect on me. This is more, like, one of the... Like, the first time I can remember beginning to take games seriously and, like, kind of realize that they are things that you can think about in a deeper way than, is this fun or is this not fun? So if you weren't, like, around and paying attention to video games in 1997... Final Fantasy Seven obviously is like part of this long-running and like incredibly famous series, but at least like it wasn't really something that was on my radar at that point. I you know I had heard of like Final Fantasy, I knew it was a thing that existed, but didn't really pay it much attention. But then Final Fantasy Seven happened, uh, and I think happened is like the correct way to talk about it because it was sort of a phenomenon. Like I remember the TV commercials that showed the pre-rendered cutscenes from Final Fantasy 7 and it was like absolutely mind-blowing that any piece of technology could even produce something that looked so good, which is a wild thing to say if you watch it today. But back in the day, like this is like this, you know, early-ish days of PlayStation and like 3D graphics have kind of just become a thing. And so it really felt like this incredibly cinematic thing i remember watching those commercials and being like i can't even wrap my head around what it is like to play this game because it just looks like a movie and of course they were literally just showing like pre-rendered movies but i think it put me and probably a lot of other people into a different mindset where it's it is using the medium that we associate with storytelling like when you're using a movie here you know so i think it kind of primed people who played games but didn't really take them seriously to pay more attention to the story and that certainly happened to me like i remember starting it up and like the very first thing that happens is you blow up a like energy producing plant right it's it's uses the like mako energy or whatever but it's analogous to like an an oil refinery or something or like an electrical power plant and i remember that moment like kind of having this realization that the characters you are controlling are terrorists and it struck me, like, I remember, like, I was a kid, you know, I was, I was very naive. Uh, and so my first thought was like, oh, I'm, you're playing as the bad guys in this game. And that felt really, like, transgressive to me, because, you know, you play games like Mario and shit, and you're just like, "Ah, oh, you're just this fucking guy, you know, you're just going around. And here, there was this, like, political point of view, there was, like, this kind of, like, you know, 90s, cool, edgy thing of, like, You're bombing a fucking power plant like that. That felt really transgressive. And then, like as the game goes on, you realize like you are not the bad guys. Like you are eco terrorists, and you are also the good guys. And that was like a very, like important like moment of like political awareness for me. Of being like, oh, okay, like they are doing something that that is makes them recognized as as villains and and evil people. Uh, And there's more to the story than that. And the fact that that was even being delivered. At all in in popular media was like kind of shocking, and the fact that it came from a video game was like really kind of an awakening point for me. And I think that's probably very similar to people who played it around the age that I did. What's your relationship with this game?
1: I'm sure Final Fantasy as a series and Final Fantasy VII are going to become common things we mention on this podcast because nowadays, like I, I'm obsessed with Final Fantasy. It's one of my favorite franchises in gaming, and there I like have such a deep love for many of them, and Final Fantasy VII specifically. But it kind of goes back to what I was saying with how I thought about the list that I made. Is that it was different than my favorite games because there are so many games that I played much later into like my life with gaming when I had started. To like realize that I really wanted to like think about games on a different way. And I was being told, okay, well, then here's kind of like, here's like your crash course, like, here's the like gaming canon that you should look at. And of course, Final Fantasy VII was on there because it's Mm -hmm. like one of the best games ever made. And so I was like, yeah, I'll go, I'll go play that. And then I loved it. (laughs) And I was like, yeah, you're right. This is a fucking, this is a fucking great game. But it's something, like, I I came to later.
0: I think coming to it knowing its reputation also is very... Makes it a significantly different experience as well.
1: Yeah. As, like, someone who played it at the time, obviously you, like, talked about there being this, like, atmosphere around it as it was, like, releasing and that it, it like, happened. It was, like, a cultural moment. But at what point do you think, like, you and people around you if you were like new other people playing it realize that this was like a bigger deal than like most other things that you had played before
0: it's hard to speak to like the kind of cultural part of that just because i was a child <laughs> so like the people i knew were <laughs> my friends on the playground but for me like it, it was really like immediate like i had truly not played anything like that before Even, you know, I played other, like, PlayStation games and stuff, but, like, even though the kind of technical side is there, if you were playing, say, Spyro the Dragon or whatever, it just, like, Final Fantasy VII, like, announces itself as a something important and, like, as a big story. And, like, a lot of Final Fantasy games do as well. Like, if I had played six at this point, I probably would have had the same experience with the beginning of that game. But I hadn't, so it was this one. Um, And I think it would be kind of, it would be difficult to play it and not have that realization kind of from the outset i'm really i'm really trying to think now like i can't think of another game before or like at that same time that announced itself so in such a big way like from the opening moments
1: yeah it's it's such an interesting thing like this like basically cold open into the Mm -hmm. game of the bombing mission now it's like ingrained into my head yeah. that whole sequence. I mean like as we're talking
0: about it,' I'm, it's playing in my head like I, I can't it's on autoplay.
1: All I hear in my head is just Oh and it it is really just such a mm-hmm. such a good hook into a game that really doesn't like let up. yeah even if like there there are different emotional heights and different emotional beats. It really just keeps going at that like level that it sets right at the beginning, and I I think you're right. I don't really know if there's something else like it, maybe in any medium. It's like pretty
0: yeah. It was unique. it was groundbreaking in like so many ways, and like there's so many little moments, like when you meet Yuffie, like she comes and like shows up and joins your party and like steals shit from you. That's it felt like such a moment of like fucking with the player in a way that like i was certain not accustomed to when i was playing it um and then like you know the the ending being kind of like a like real downer and there's just so many moments of the game that are just like just do things that i didn't i never would have expected a game to do so even now if you have games that are like far more transgressive both in terms of like the story and structure you know how they play with the medium and things like that we're primed for it now. Uh, and they're kind of like, I don't know, game, the games seem to kind of like announce themselves as like interesting, weird things. Uh, whereas this was kind of a normie game, you know, it was like a big blockbuster. It was like part of a big series from a major publisher. Uh, and it just so happened to like break a ton of rules or like at least what people perceived as rules. It would That just made it feel so important.
1: Yeah. And I, I think it's like so interesting that one of your like things that you just like mentioned is, that you're like, oh, meeting Yuffie is so cool because like, Yuffie's an entirely optional character. Yeah, that you can that you can like not get, which I think is just also something really cool about. I mean, the series in general, but Final Fantasy VII, like, it is that thing of there's just so much, and the game doesn't railroad you into seeing everything. It's just like there's a lot of stuff here, <laughs> and you can like search it out if you want. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I think that felt important too, where it wasn't just like, here's all the levels, you play them in order, and then it's over. It's like, no, you can go out in the world and find these like apocalyptic machines to defeat if you feel like it.
1: You can snowboard. You can snow
0: (laughs) You can play all these terrible mini-games that I loved.
1: (laughs) So I think something you touched on is a pretty good, you know, way into the next game for me. Mm -hmm. So my first game was 1998. And now we're going to jump much further. And so we're going to give you a little background in between on Willa's life. (laughs) So after playing the Nintendo 64, I had gaming in my life for a while, but it was nothing like serious. I would just play games and enjoy them. We got a PlayStation 2 because my brother wanted one. Like, he was really the one who was like, I want to get games and stuff. And then I would just play him after. And I had a Game Boy and I had a PSP at one point. And these were just like little toys for me. And then for some reason, I was like, I must have been in middle school and I really wanted a PlayStation 3. And so I convinced my mother to get me a PlayStation 3 and we got it. And then she drove me to GameStop because we had the nearby GameStop. And she was like, you can get two games. And, you know, that's the games you have to start. And so, like, knowing nothing, <laughs> I basically just went up to the, the like, worker at the <laughs> counter. And I was like, hey, I I just got a PlayStation 3. Can I, can you recommend some Aww, games? This is
0: the very cute story.
1: Yeah. And so... The first game that this guy picks up is Uncharted 2, and he hands it to me, and he's like, this is the game you want. (laughs) And I was like, do I need to play the first one? And he's just like, not at all. (laughs) And I got, so I got Uncharted 2 and another game, but that game is not my choice. My choice is Uncharted 2.
0: Do you remember what the other game was?
1: It was Infamous.
0: Fantastic. (laughs) Which hey, I do like Infamous. I mean, it's yeah, it's fine. It's it's not on the list.
1: Yeah, so I go home with Uncharted two and Infamous, <laughs> and I put in Uncharted two, and I think it was a similar kind of experience to Final Fantasy seven that you were talking about. Where have you played Uncharted two? Uh,
0: no, I haven't actually.
1: So, you put in the disc. <sighs>
0: I know that part. And you
1: start the gate. You know what? <laughs> <laughs> this, this is my time. I'm sorry. <laughs> you put in the disc and you press start. And then it just opens on this scene. And it's Nathan Drake. And he's sitting in a train. And he's bleeding out. Oh. And then all of a sudden, something falls at his head. But it's like falling through the train car horizontally. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden the camera pulls out and turns and Nathan Drake is inside of a train car hanging off of a cliff on the side of a snowy mountaintop with a giant wreckage on the, on the mountain. And it just zooms out and you just see this massive thing. And then it goes back in uh, towards Nathan Drake and it's like, okay, now you have to climb out of this train wreck. And you have no idea what the fuck is going on. And then eventually you get to the top of this like train car, but it starts falling and you have to jump to make this like gap between the train car and the cliff and you make it. And then you roll and you get like a flashback and it's like uncharted two. And it's like, wow. (laughs) And for like, someone who had been playing games like sort of on and off for the past, like so many years because Uncharted 2 came out in 1997. (laughs) Exactly. Um, It came out in 2009 and I didn't, I didn't get into like 2011, I think Mm. because I didn't get a PlayStation 3 when it launched. And it was one of those things which like sounds Grown worthy now but it was so cinematic yeah it was like a movie yeah and i was like i was like watching this opening and i was like oh my god this looks this looks just like real life <laughs> the graphics are so good and this is this is so like action-packed and and exciting and it's so cool and and then for the rest of the game it's just like this super fun you know, like Indiana Jones adventure kind of thing. And I had this moment where I was like, yeah, I I like video games. I'm a gamer.
0: (laughs) And that's where it all went wrong.
1: Exactly. And so it was this moment where I was kind of like, I had played games in the years since like growing up with a Nintendo 64. But it was like, I didn't really care that much. (laughs) But then like, I really started getting into games. And I was like, so who made this game like who's this what's this naughty dog studio what are they about like oh okay so like playstation has exclusives and like let me learn about the developers and like what's out there and what's happening and like let me read reviews and Mm -hmm. see what people are like thinking critically about and that was just kind of the gateway drug for me into like thinking about games more critically and i still i still love uncharted 2 and that's kind of why it's on this list is it was just without it. I I really don't think I would be where I am yeah. because it was the moment where I was like, you know what? There's something really fucking cool about video games.
0: <laughs> Have you guys heard about these video games?
1: They're pretty good. Yeah.
0: What's your relationship with like the rest of the series? I'm curious.
1: After playing Uncharted 2, I went back and played the first Uncharted mm-hmm. and I should have listened to that GameStop employee. It's not worth it. Uncharted 1 is such a worse experience. Um, It's like a, it's one of those things where it's like, it's the blueprint. You can tell where the series is going to go, but they definitely needed that second installment to refine it. Yeah. It's like similar, it's similar to the Assassin's Creed situation Mm. where assassin's creed one is like not great but you can tell it's gonna be kind of interesting and then assassin's creed 2 is like fantastic yeah and then Mm. i played three loved three also and then you know i've played four and lost legacy and uh, i like the i like these series a lot overall i have more complex thoughts on it now (laughs) but that has a lot to do with like what i think about naughty dog as a studio and the the creators that have become the ones who make creative decisions there. Right. But uh still hasn't it hasn't sullied uncharted 2 for me.
0: Yeah, I mean that's yeah, you you got to have a problematic favor too. I've like I've never really gotten into the series. As you were describing the intro though, I realized like I have s- seen that either from like I don't know, watching a friend play or seeing a let's play of it or something. Uh, and it was like, just like we were describing with the intro to Final Fantasy seven, like I could very much just sort of like see it playing out before my eyes in a late title card. I'm always going to be a sucker for.
1: Yeah. And it's like, I remember my, my family members would like come in and they'd like look at it and they'd be like, whoa, this looks so cool. <laughs> like this is a video game. I'd be like, yeah. And it's, and it's kind of like Indiana Jones. And they'd be like, okay. <laughs> Play your game. So it's just like really, really interesting, and I think I just got into it so much more than I had any game before then.
0: So for some reason, we're we're both coming into series like not at the beginning and <laughs> being like, "Have you heard of this? It's amazing." I know. Seriously, it's it's very one of the, very much that thing. It's like, wow, you
1: you guys have heard about this very well received thing because. <laughs> It's shocker. It's really good. Turns
0: out it's good. There's no segue to my next game. I'm sorry, Uh, I've failed as a podcaster. But for my next game, I'm going to take us back. You're you're not. You're never going to guess. You're never going to guess what year this game came out. Well, did it really come out in 1997? (laughs) Yes. (laughs) So there's this game. It's called Oddworld. Specifically, it's called Oddworld: Abe's Odyssey. So th- this game is a very important game to me. I actually wrote a piece very recently uh, about why it is like extremely influential to me. Uh, this I think is is different from Final Fantasy VII and Ocarina of Time and Uncharted Two to some extent, where like I don't think it had it, the impact it had on me was much larger than its like cultural impact. Whereas like Final Fantasy VII was like an event. Uh, Abe's Odyssey is. I think still kind of a niche thing. Like it's a thing people know about. Have you played this game? I have not. Okay. Have you played any never, of the series. Never played
1: an odd world game. Okay.
0: That's like not yeah. surprising. Like they're not, you know, super well known game. Were My it?
1: biggest uh exposure to it was reading your piece. <laughs> great. It's I'm a to great piece by the guide way. Guide you through this. Thank really you. made me be like, hmm, maybe I should try this. And then I didn't.
0: Yeah, it's it's yeah. I played so I played it like when I was going back to write the piece, and it is, but it's it's kind of a tough one to go back to. Oddworld is made by this company called Oddworld Inhabitants, which is like a developer that formed around making this game, uh, and they had a vision of this this like five part saga that like never came to fruition. They're still kind of they're making games, but they've made like remakes of the original ones, and then some of them got farmed out to like other developers. The like the there were two games starring this main character Abe, and then two games starring different characters that were like not as successful. They may have been successful commercially, but they weren't, in my opinion, like as artistically successful. But these Oddworld games, like they came at a very strange time in in sort of like mainstream games, where you know we were a couple years into the lifespan of like the PlayStation, and like there's more technological power behind the machines that people are using to play games and so the big thing that people do with that are like make really nice shiny graphics which Oddworld has but there was also this like push about ai before this you know there's games where like you play mario and the fucking turtle is going to go in back and forth in the same way every single time but with like the extra processing power of like the playstation and like more modern computers you could run kind of more complex AI for, like, enemies and stuff. So most games use this to, like, make the dudes who are shooting at you shoot at you better. But there was sort of... A lot of games played with them in more interesting ways. The next game I'm going to talk about is also one of them. But the thing that Oddworld did with this is... So it's like a puzzle platformer game. You're trying to escape from this industrial facility. And eventually there's like all kinds of other stuff that happens. But it starts out you escaping this facility. And through the course of the game, it's not just about like you solve these puzzles and you escape. The really tough part is you are essentially a slave who works in this factory. And there are 99 other slaves who you, you can free. You can like find them and like guide them out. And the only way to like get the good ending is I think you need to save at least half of them to get the good ending and to to like guide them there was a thing that the game the the developers called game speak which is literally like on like the numbers on your keyboard they're mapped to like you can make your guy say hello or follow me or wait and you have to say them in that voice because that's how he says them and it's burned into your brain the first time you hear them but there was something that felt so magical about like talking to this character and like having them respond like it's it's very simplistic like and it's it's like silly to even think of how much of an impact it made on me and like probably other people at the time but it really did feel like oh they're like these real little critters inside the computer and i remember that having like such a big impact on me and like being such an incredible like device for forming empathy between player or at least the player who was me and these these characters like it it was something that i really hadn't felt before and i remember like probably largely because of that when i finished the game i was so excited that i like i ran from we (laughs) my my family computer was literally kept in a closet in our hallway so i like was in there playing it and i like ran out to like tell my parents about you know i just beat this game and it was this thing and i did this and the and they like could not have given less of a shit like i was like so triumphant and it was just like how about you go outside buddy you know but to me there was like it was like some grass for yeah they yeah my parents were absolutely telling me to touch grass a lot of the time um but it was this thing that i'd never felt before of like feeling like these were like not just like you know, computer characters, but they were real. I don't know. Yeah, there's, there's stuff about it. Like, it is also, like, a very political game that, like, kind of awakened my, my sort of political leanings where it's, like, it's about, you know, you're a slave in a factory farm. There's a lot of stuff about, like, mass extinction and human or sentient being caused to climate change and, like, imperialism that, like, the game gets into a lot and, like, had an impact on me, even though I probably, I wasn't really, like... Aware of what it was doing to me at the time, but yeah, I don't know. It's another one of those games where, like, I played it and I was like, "Oh, there is more to these the to video games than I thought that there was," Uh, and it's something that like kind of drove me to be like, "Well, what other things are like this? Why are these decisions being made?" And and I don't know, just connect with it on an emotional level that like few things have really touched.
1: Yeah, I think it's it's so interesting that you know both your choices of final fantasy 7 and odd world you know both in 1997 were these like pretty you know radical stories with like these themes about you know corporations or like factories and imperialism and the like the worker mm-hmm. do you remember like how the like the order that you played them in did you play Oddworld world first or like final fantasy seven or were you thinking were oh, you thinking fuck. did you think about this at all when you like played them
0: i i think my reaction to them was more emotional i understood that they were both games about there are people that are doing harm to other people and to the planet for their like to improve their own lives like they are profiting off the suffering of others and there should be no sympathy for those people. Like you should feel free to turn into a God and electrocute them with your God powers. Like you do at the end of Abe's odyssey. I, I I certainly don't think I would have like expressed it in a way that was any more like related to the real world than that. But the course of my personal politics did very much follow uh, a pretty straight line from, from that. So I think Oddworld was certainly first. I was like, you know, even less intellectually formed at that time than I was when I played Final Fantasy VII. But there was something that, like, very much spoke to me in a way that I certainly couldn't have articulated at the time.
1: And have you? do you still play the, like, games in this series? Because they still make Oddworld games.
0: Yeah, I have not actually played any of the more recent ones. Um, I'm going to play Soulstorm because I've heard good things. yeah, I really fell off after there was one for like the Xbox, uh, or there were two, I think that came out for the Xbox and I didn't have an Xbox. So I was just like, well, (laughs) I guess that's the end of the line for me. But they were also very different games. Um, I was really invested in like the story that these games were telling. And those kind of like took a turn that was like not really telling the same story anymore. And so my interest kind of dropped off.
1: Yeah. Is it, should I go back and play this game? Is this, like, worth playing now?
0: I think I think it's worth playing if you have a lot of patience. <laughs> like, the problems with the game are, like, the problems with games that are this old, which is, like, you're going to, like, spend a lot of time, like, doing the same shit over and over because of, like, sort of busted autosave systems. You might have a better time just, like, playing one of the newer ones because the two newest, like, the Soulstorm is supposed to be pretty good and it's sort of, it's, like, basically the same kind of game as abe's odyssey um so that might be a good starting point point. and if you want to do some archaeology you can play the originals i do think they're worth <sighs> i think they're worth playing though Got it, it. J- just know that it's going to be a frustrating experience <laughs> in in many ways that's
1: so many games though like this is very true so my the last game that i chose to talk about is journey from that game company So it came out in twenty twelve and I remember I must have read about it and it it had come out and somebody was talking about it. I was like this really, really good experience, this short game, and I was like, you know what, let's try it, let's do it. And I had gotten home from school and I had like bought it and downloaded it on my PlayStation 3. And I had I was a swimmer at the time, and so I had swim practice, like eight or something so I had a few hours in between and I sat down and I started playing this game and then I played the whole game (laughs) one time through and I remember going to swim practice and I was I was like swimming I was practicing and in between like sets when I would be like hanging on the wall I remember talking one of my friends ears off about (laughs) this game, because I had finished it and I went to some practice and I just could only think about this game. Yeah, it was this really unique thing for me. It was like the first game that I had played that was like it. And it's it's weird to call it an indie because it was like funded by Sony. But it's kind of an indie. You know, you play as this robed figure going to the mountain, and there's no words, you can just make sounds. And, you know, the whole gimmick of it, which is, like, really cool, is that mm. you you meet other robed figures in the game and there are other players who are experiencing their journey through the story. And you can't do anything besides make sounds at each other. And it's just about these fleeting relationships that, like, you have while you try to go through these little obstacles. And then, like, you finish the game... And it tells you the like gamer tag or, or, you know, like PlayStation handle or whatever of who you've been playing with. And it was like just this moment where I was like, this is so cool. This is so unique and so different for me than anything I had played before. And again, it seems weird to say it, but it's like this was like my first indie game. And it really lit something in me that I was like, games can be different. Games can be something else. Like, they don't have to be, like, uncharted. They don't have to be action-driven and, like, about gunplay. They don't have to fall into this rut that so many other games did. They can be a really interesting way to make you think about human connection in a way that only a game could. And it really, like made me think about the potential of the medium and why I loved it so much. I I really think that if Uncharted 2 got me on the like path of like thinking about games critically, Journey was the one that like solidified it and made me be like, I want to talk about games professionally. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of what I want to do because it's so, it was so special. And it's still, it's still a game that I think about constantly. Um, Because I think it's, it just shows a very unique approach to game design that, you know, steps away from the obsession of most publishers and developers right now on like the AAA level, to just focus on these very kind of cookie cutter experiences that just have a little bit of different flavor of like it's action-y, maybe it has some kind of quote unquote prestige story or whatever, but it's still about your your only method of playing the game is still kind of a violent thing. And this threw away all of that and made me actually want to experience more things like that. And got me into looking into the indie scene as well. So that's why it just still I think is one of the most influential games for me.
0: Yeah, I that's all very well said. We are like completely aligned on this in a way that I totally agree with all of that and like don't even know what to add. (laughs) Like that that is like fully my thoughts about the game. I think my like experience of it was like I had a friend who had played it. Uh and he literally he invited me over to his house and was like, you just need to play this game. Um, like that was why I needed to come over we just like sat down in the living room and I just played the game and he watched me play the whole game and it was like just the the same experience of being like very emotionally affected by this thing and being like these are all real people like I just I just had this shared experience with a person who I will never know who they were Uh, we never like exchanged a word which I, yeah, I don't know. It it is it is like a spectacularly singular thing.
1: I I honestly think that journey was probably the first game that made me cry. Oh. And it's one of those things cuz it's like, it, it's not necessarily because it's an a deep narrative or anything. Right. But it just shows the potential of the medium. Like I just had mm-hmm. a visceral emotional reaction to this like investing this time in it and working with these people and then just that journey ending and just like thinking about it, it just like hit me. Yeah. And I just like cried. Cause I was like, that was so
0: beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> like It
1: sounds like so w- cliche to say, but I was just like, I cried because it was just so beautiful.
0: No, I don't think it's cliche at all. Like that, I, that like a hundred percent tracks for me, that idea of like having helped and been helped by this like stranger had this fleeting connection that is now like you know you can never pick that back up like it's it's just kind of happened and is gone forever and was just a beautiful thing that you shared with someone like that is the game you know like it got the reaction out of you that it earned
1: yeah i don't think any game before journey for me made me want to be a better person in real life yeah yeah but after playing journey it like it made me just reflect on like life yeah how i make connections am i helping which was groundbreaking <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah absolutely Which, yeah i mean that is like the best of what a game can do i think which i think you mentioned something about like it is a thing that only a game can do where it's like you you did have to put in the work to have this experience like there there's no part of that that is passive so i think there is yeah. a way in which it is like practice for uh being there for someone you know
1: Definitely from a game design perspective, it's something I admire because I think it is taking advantage of and showing a mastery of video games, like unique abilities Mm -hmm. as a medium. Uncharted is cool and all, games like it are cool and all, but it's because, you know, to an extent people, it's like, say they're playable movies or they're cinematic. Yeah. Whereas Journey is like Uniquely, it's it's a game and this could not be done anywhere else because it understands that in, the interactivity is the like crux of a video game and that's its strength. And yeah. by playing on that, it just accomplishes something so special.
0: It would be cool if all of our blockbuster games remembered that <laughs> instead yeah. of just going back to trying to be movies again. <laughs> Do you have... I don't uh, want to...
1: I actually think game design and its effect on people and also the lessons that the game industry at large I actually think it's the perfect segue to your next pick.
0: I do as well. I just don't want to cut you off if you had anything to say because that was a yeah I was enjoying your your analysis of journey. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I think it, it does really feed into my next game which uh surprise surprise did not come out in the year 1997. Uh, it came out a full four years later. So my next game is Eco, which is. Uh, do you pronounce it Eco? I do. I know some people pronounce it Ico, and I think those people are incorrect. Um, d- just demonstrably worse people. Eco uh, is another like it's like ex- feels extremely influential, but also isn't one of the most like played games in the world it's it's that sort of thing of like everyone who played it has like very distinct and fond memories of it uh and for someone who hasn't played it if you try to describe it it sounds like complete madness so ego is this game it's hard to even so ego opens it has this like very sort of mysterious opening cutscene where there's a group of people riding through the forest they're either like not speaking or they're speaking a language that you don't understand. What happens in this is they come to a temple and there's like a group of people on horseback. And one of them is this little boy who has horns and they lock this, they go to the temple and they lock this child in like a sarcophagus basically. And then they just peace. And at that, like after that point you, you know, actually pick up playing the game when the like sarcophagus or whatever you're in kind of like tumbles over and you're able to escape from it at this point there's been no spoken dialogue at least any that you can like discern and you kind of just pick up just running through this place uh, and pretty quickly you come upon this kind of like giant room with this with a staircase along the outer edge that spirals up toward the top it's this like crumbling tower that you're on the inside of and there is like in the middle of this room like a cage that's suspended in the air and inside it is this girl who's you know calling for you in a language that you don't understand i think you're you're meant to believe that like the character doesn't understand it either you're able to free her and then the rest of the game is you controlling this this little horned boy and leading around this kind of like shadowy like ethereal girl you don't speak the same language Uh, There's no, like, on-screen text telling you what to do. It's just this, like, very mysterious exploration of this crumbling castle. And, like, all you really know is, like, you're trying to get out. It seems pretty obvious. You're both in prison. You want to not be in prison. You got to go. And the way the game plays out is just, like, in this silent way, you guide... I mean, the the characters' names are Ego, which is the boy, and Yorda, which is the girl, I believe you just you're you're guiding her through and periodically you're attacked by these like shadow monsters in what is kind of like the most annoying part of the game and you have to like fight them off with a stick and later a sword and that's like pretty much all that happens like you're solving puzzles along the way to open new paths to get out but the whole thing is really just you exploring this massive landscape and trying to get out of the castle with no real goal in mind other than not being there anymore and i know that this is also a game that you played and that left an impression on you so i want to kind of break my monologue and ask you you know your your take on it
1: yeah so eco is a game that i have you know played after kind of like really wanting to look back at like really interesting influential games and it was this kind of like hidden classic almost that people talk about as being so important but you can't really see that many places so i i played eco and it it was one of those things again kind of along the lines of journey where i felt like this is so good and it's so (laughs) unique and how it you know plays with the idea of like this companion of the relationship between eco and yorda because they both have to like work together to get through the like castle or the temple and there's so many unique things cuz it's about how you can't communicate with words mm-hmm. and one of the one of the coolest things that you can do in the game is you can hold hands uh, we guess just to like lead each other and i think it's
0: so Beautiful. <laughs> yes. That is like I was thinking about this, you know, anticipating the record today. I was thinking about this last night and like what it was that really like struck me about this game. And that's what I kept going back to is like that I, that there's a button <laughs> to like hold out your hand and have this other person take it. I just remember being so like it re- like my heart just like bursting at that idea.
1: I do think eco is so unique because it does have an influence on like game mm-hmm. developers like yeah so many game developers talk about how eco is like so influential like the dark soul series actually references eco yeah. and and shadow of the colossus as some of their biggest inspirations but beyond that like eco is kind of one of the first games that was like you are a player character and you have a companion and you have to work with the companion to solve puzzles and move forward which is like now the norm kind (laughs) of right like you have the last of us and it's you it's joel and ellie or you have god of war ragnarok with kratos and atreus or you have like a plague tale where you are amicia and you help your little brother hugo around i wrote about this because it was it was eco's 21st anniversary games seem to love to reference eco but I don't think they've learned from it yeah. beyond have a companion who you can force <laughs> to do things, right? which isn't what eco is about. Eco is about mutual respect and like trying to s- solve problems in like a harsh world because you're like, you only have each other and mm-hmm. you need each other to survive.
0: Yeah. Like it is specifically not about forcing this companion to do things because like when you're not dragging mm-hmm. her along through this, these like ramparts, like you're able just kind of like wander off and like do her own thing like it's never like she completely abandons you or whatever but she'll just go over and like look at some birds or just like kind of do her own thing and it's i don't know that feels very important where it's not just she's not just a tool that you're you're using like she is another character that is
1: exactly i think the the way to say it she is not a tool where so many other games make a companion a tool
0: I think, like, in a way that there is that line between Final Fantasy VII and, and Oddworld of that political awakening, there's also a connection here between Oddworld and Ego for me of the idea of using a video game to simulate relationships and the idea of, like, one individual helping another and the complications that come from that. Like, the, the fact that you can't speak to each other is, is so important because, like, you can feel the relationship between the two of them growing throughout the game but there's never a like you know it's never because they're like sitting around the fire at night like you know when i was a kid like it's it's it it skips all that corny shit because it's just like yeah if you have two people who are relying on each other and who like have a common goal they will forge a connection and like there is something so so beautiful about that where it's like they these two people do not need to know each other to learn to like trust and care about each other
1: it bears a lot of similarities to like my relationship to journey mm-hmm. ex- except that journey just makes the step of making that other person a real person. Right. <laughs> Whereas eco is just like, wh- you you should care about this digital character. Yeah. Cause, cause Yorda is her own person and, and you do care.
0: Uh, yeah. I'm really feeling emotional, like talking about this. I think just spending so much time on it is kind of dragging back up the, the feelings that I had actually playing it. And just like how absolutely captivated I was,
1: I I replayed the first hour of it. Oh, I need to um, play it again. Just last month when mm-hmm. I wrote about it, it just felt so unique, and I was like, man, they they don't make them like this anymore.
0: <laughs> well, they didn't make them like that then either. That was what was so great about it is it was like such an anomaly.
1: Have you played The Last Guardian?
0: Uh, I haven't actually. Uh, I really want to go back and play it though. Have Have you?
1: Yeah, it's I think it's a really good like, continuation of that investigation of how a companion can play with the player Mm -hmm. in meaningful ways that you actually have a meaningful emotional connection. It's it's done really well. It's just a shame that, you know, Japan Studio doesn't exist in that form anymore.
0: Man, yeah, that's such a bummer. I kind of hate the thing of like idolizing specific studios because they often do like change crew so often that like a studio that releases one game by the time the next game comes out it's not necessarily even like the same studio in a meaningful sense but everything that came out from like this specific like team ego just has such a personal touch to it and it's just it really is like nothing else like for anyone who is unaware like this is also the the team that made Shadow of the Colossus and there's like a lot of the same DNA there even though it's telling a very different story it, you know it still has a lot to say about the things that companionship and the want for it will will drive a person to do yeah they just just like games that are that are so influential but but are so singular at the same time
1: yeah it's 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 interesting because it's like, they're influential, but there's a specific aspect to them that hasn't been, that was like lost in translation. Do you uh, do you feel like you know me better now?
0: I do. Yeah, I I learned you're on the swim team. That is true. Yeah. I think I think it is really interesting to like, go back and and explore the games that, like, really made an impact on someone. Like, I'm sure the same thing is true of, of any artistic medium, but we just happen to be people who care a lot about games, and so it feels more important. But there is something about the interactivity of them that's like, you're making a choice in how to behave in these games, and so the ones that you choose, I think, do kind of, they can really get under your skin in a way, where it's not just like, I watched this thing happen, it's like, I participated in this thing.
1: It's unique. And I I think it's a really interesting conversation to have because I do feel like you learn something about the person in a really deep way. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's a good exercise. In an invasive way.
0: (laughs) In a consensually invasive way. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, even like as a participant in it, like just kind of excavating my own memories was was also very interesting. Like it, this really did dredge up a lot of emotions I haven't explored in a while. I don't know did you did it feel the same way to you?
1: It did It's like it's just like having to put words to it to yeah. these like feelings. I mean, I think it's a good exercise because these games have had such an impact on me, but I don't think I've ever had to really vocalize mm-hmm. a lot why, and yeah, so just yeah. like bringing that forward brings up a lot. And yeah. it just like it makes you, it makes you feel a lot of emotions.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it like when we started talking about this, like the first thing that came to mind was Eco. It was like, like there was no question that that is like the pro- like at the front of my mind. Like that is the most important game that it, like to me. But it wasn't until like we talked about it that I was really kind of excavated why that was. It, it just kind of like was a fact of my existence where I was like, yes, Eco is the best game I've ever played (laughs) and now it's just like oh wait now I understand that more
1: that's why uh critical thinking about art is a good thing
0: yeah I should do that more
1: (laughs) (laughs) I think we'll just wrap it up with talking about like fun stuff we're doing which doesn't have to be restricted to games it can just be whatever uh just to like chat about things that we're liking do you have something that you've been up to in the past week or so?
0: See, remembering things that I did 20 years ago, I can do. Remembering what I did even this morning is is a, is a real struggle. <laughs> I do see a, a note here in this doc, though, Willa. And your question to yourself is also a question that I have for you.
1: Yeah, okay. Now that I we know that it's what you've mine. been doing.
0: Uh, I have a lot of questions.
1: (laughs) So yeah, my thing is Overwatch 2.
0: (laughs) Willow, why are you playing this game so much?
1: Yeah, so we have our Google Doc with like our podcast notes and stuff. And I just have Overwatch 2, parentheses, all caps. Why am I playing it so
0: much? Why would you be playing it so much?
1: Because I'm trash. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> i don't know it's it's just got me hooked i'm yeah. lo- i'm re- i hate to say it but i'm liking it which is wild because like leading up to its like official launch i have i've been not i've done nothing but shit talk this game
0: yeah i mean we talked about this game when we both had played it like pre-release we didn't even mean to. I think it just came up, and then we spent like twenty five minutes talking about how it just felt like like nothing to play. The last time that I played it, just I should say, was before launch, so I might have had a very like a vastly different experience. But just for me, the like moment to moment game felt like just really not like Overwatch. It, it felt more like. Aggressive and just kind of squishy, and I didn't feel like I was participating meaningfully on a team. How do you, how do you feel about those things now? Like, does it feel like it's like become more cohesive?
1: So I had all of those same thoughts when you know we were playing it pre-launch, and so I'm here to tell you that with the final launch, uh-huh. none of that has changed. Oh, Willa,
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: I just. So I have like it's it is the busy season. I do I am not <laughs> right. you know wanting to have
0: things to do. I'm not wanting for games
1: to play. <laughs> and yet whenever I like, you know, the work day ends or I just have some free time, I'm like, you know what I could do? I could play a couple matches of Overwatch yeah, too. You and could. I'm just like, I'm having fun. I think it's because I I understand that this is not, it's like not really Overwatch anymore, mm-hmm. all in name, like only in name. It's, it's a very different game. It is more aggressive. Everything has been squished together. Like roles don't mean as much as they used to, mm-hmm. especially if you're a support player. Yeah. You kind of mean nothing. Yeah. Um, Everyone does
0: is- way more damage now. Yeah, like, um, yeah. So many skills Moira that used to DPS. be supports. Yeah, it, like so. Okay, are you who? God, I've seen all of the Moira slander going around Twitter, by the way. And I, as a Moira main, I don't appreciate it.
1: Yeah, um, I mean Moira is wild right now because Moira is like <laughs> DPS like crazy
0: i don't so who are you are you playing moira like who's
1: i've been playing a lot of moira i've been playing um kiriko who's the new support Mm -hmm. who kiriko is really fun and i think i think kiriko works for me right now because i think she draws the line between dps and support that works with the new style of play that overwatch 2 is Hmm. like she's very aggressive she has a lot of movement but she does have some good healing capability. So it's very much like, you know, you can heal when you can, but you could also, like, you can mess some people up. <laughs> <laughs> that's like, I, that's all I've really been doing. Yeah. Um, but I find myself going in match after match, wanting to, even though I know this is not like the Overwatch I loved. Overwatch yeah. is dead. Long live Overwatch 2. <laughs>
0: we could be playing
1: gundam overwatch instead We could be and i liked gundam evolution and i just play overwatch there's like no (laughs) explanation for it yeah i i'm not a reasonable person anymore i just play (laughs) overwatch too for fun
0: yeah i mean overwatch was like never a great habit like, it did always kind of make me feel like when I turned on, like, reality TV at the end of the day to just kind of turn off, to, you know, turn off my brain. Except there were also people calling me slurs while I did it. <laughs> it's, you know, I I think the
1: thing about Overwatch that still gets me is I really like the characters. They look mm-hmm. super cool. And, like, all of my cosmetics are now in Overwatch too, So I can have my, <laughs> yeah. you know beach mercy skin and like go around healing and living life and it's like i've even gotten back into like reading overwatch fanfic
0: yes okay so that is that is a positive development that's come out of all this but like there's not new
1: overwatch fanfic yet for like my ship so i'm just Mm -hmm. rereading old ones that i like (laughs) yeah i'm just like stuck in a loop again and i don't know why but it but it's yeah. like satisfying me right now it's my it's yeah. my toxic relationship right
0: video games don't always need to make you like rethink the nature of human connection sometimes they can make you angry at your fellow humans <laughs> for not dpsing enough oh yeah speaking of not dpsing enough and glamour being the end game <laughs> uh, the thing I've been doing is... This is going to shock you, Willa, but I have been playing this game called Final Fantasy XIV. Heard of it. It's, yeah, it's pretty good. Only 25 million people play. But the the latest patch for Final Fantasy XIV is out this week. And the big thing that it did, at least in terms of like what I've been doing, is it added two new dungeons, which are like also two new types of dungeons. So have you played since the patch?
1: I haven't, but like these new dungeons are so exciting.
0: It's so much fun. It's it's so good. Yeah, so Final Fantasy 14, everybody knows what the fuck it is. But this this update added this this feature called variant dungeons, which are as opposed to like the, the existing content in the game, you can go in with any number of players from 1 to 4 and the difficulty adjusts to how many players you have. Uh, So it's totally viable to do it solo. And you go into these dungeons, the the other difference is that it's kind of like a choose-your-own-path thing. So they're a little shorter, it feels, than standard dungeons, but there are like multiple pathways you can take, and you need to play it multiple times to kind of get the whole story and to see every boss and things like that. So I've been playing a little bit with my FC, and kind of just like having the time of our lives in it, the variant dungeons are not very difficult, but... All of the boss mechanics are really fun and interesting. The the like choosing paths thing is more like in-depth than we expected. Like there're literally points where you can find a new route by like doing emotes at a certain point. There's a lot of weird wacky shit going on on top of like very cool rewards. Like you can get a cute little lizard minion which I got on my first run and was seen very excited. This minion. God, it's so beautiful. I love it. But yeah, it's just like this cool new feature that is like a, a pretty slight twist on what the game has been doing forever, but it makes it feel like this totally different experience. Like it is, it is such, it is like Overwatch's arcade mode, just kind of goofy. You go in and have fun. You know, you don't really need to care about your role that much. And it's just like, for me, kind of like revitalized the way that I've been playing with my FC I play my FC is like very active. Like we play like clear a lot of content together and do like end game like farming stuff. And this is just a chance to just like fuck around. And it's yeah, I don't know. I just I really love it, and I'm I'm really hopeful that they will use the branching path thing more and and find like interesting ways to to dig into that. I don't know. It, I think to me it just kind of encapsulates what makes Final Fantasy XIV so great. Is like every time you kind of get a handle on it, they add something unexpected and it like changes the way you approach it.
1: There, I mean, there's so much content, but <laughs> yeah. it's just something new to do, and it like breaks up the monotony. Is not quite the right word, but like you know, you get in a loop yeah. of like doing your weeklies and stuff, and this is like you're saying it. Do- it does just seem like a fun activity, and it it's something that like scratches niche that I know the like community has been asking for for a while of like this kind of variation as well as a like a a changing difficulty where it can be like harder or easier depending on like who you're with and it does I I love that Final Fantasy 14 is always like we're just gonna give you more fun content that you can just do weird stuff with your friends and that's the game
0: yeah that's great great. and also you can get an extremely adorable mount of like a sewer rat (laughs) wearing a crown
1: I know you can also, um, you can like make yourself look like uh, NPCs now for the Halloween event.
0: Oh, I didn't know this. A thing? Maybe I even—I mean, I that I think the the Halloween update. Oh, that actually did drop a couple days ago. I, I haven't touched that content yet, though.
1: Yeah, so I'm pretty sure there's a a thing where you can make yourself look like different NPCs in the game.
0: Like specifically, you can put on a costume that is like this specific NPC. Yeah, you can like walk oh, around flickier. like
1: you know. I'm pretty sure you can like walk around as Ishtola. Ah,
0: oh, my dream.
1: Exactly. Yeah, it's gonna be a cool little Halloween event, and yeah. I'm gonna have to jump in. I've yeah. been out of it for a bit.
0: <laughs> yeah, this Final Fantasy 14 is one of those games that like pretty much just shuts down my my critical capabilities. Where like I play it and I'm just like this is just fun. Like I'm not really thinking too hard about it. Sometimes it does get to that, that level where it is like a big, you know, much more important thing. But for the most part, I'm just like this is just brain off, fuck around time, and it's just so satisfying.
1: Yeah, I mean it's it's my forever game. Yes, like it's the game that I will play forever, <laughs> and if I, it's the one game that I would need because mm-hmm. there's just so much to do. And my friends are in there. My little <laughs> my little cat boys and bunny girls.
0: All of my friends live in the computer.
1: <laughs> uh, I'm glad we're both having fun uh, with our respective obsessions at the moment. Yeah. But yeah, so this has been a mildly successful first episode. <laughs> we'll see how it goes. It's the best um, we could have hoped for. Well, that's it for the first episode of Girl Mode. You can find us on Apple Podcasts and everywhere else podcasts are available. Follow us on Twitter at Mode underscore pod and on co-host at girlmode dash pod. I'm on Twitter and co-host at The Willow Row.
0: And I'm at Robin it's Bombus. It's B O M B U S.
1: Thanks so much for listening and see you next time. Have a good day, evening, or whatever time it is when you're listening to this. Peace.